You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, also known as your Joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into their life journey, not just their recent accomplishments, but about their life, how they got to where they are, the ups, the downs the confusions, all of it. <laughs> On today's episode, I have Sadi Simon. He's amazing. If you're not following him on social media yet, highly recommend, you know, TikTok and Reels. He's, uh, I just love it. He's a two-time best-selling author, celebrity meditation teacher. His most recent book is called Spiritually Sassy. Uh, yeah, I really love talking to him, hearing about his journey, and um, you're going to love him too. I just know it. <laughs> Quick note, thank you for listening. And if you haven't yet, I'd love for you to hit subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. And if you do, I'll send you a gift from my product line. All you have to do, leave a review, screenshot it, and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com, and I'll send you a gift. Maybe a keychain, magnet, journal, all things, all sorts of things in my shop. All right, let's get to the episode. Okay, awesome. So I like starting with kind of the start, but like what was life like for you growing up? And then I, I love talking, especially around the high school years, because I feel like those can be such a challenging time, but also like this like what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And you either like have these shoulds placed on you or just like, yeah, or maybe you're like, this is what I'm going to do. I have this big dream. So love talking about that age. Great. Um, so high school, holy fucking shit. I hope it's okay to curse. Um, Absolutely. You, but you opened up a chapter that I, um, <clears throat> I have done a fantastic job at, at, at making peace with it, at forgiving myself and forgiving others during that time, and just sort of closing that, you know, really closing that book and putting it back on the shelf. Me like, girl, thank you for that time, thank you for that experience, but you're back on that shelf. We're gonna take a, you know, take a new journal. We're gonna write an entire new life. Um, we moved from Brazil to America when I was 16. So sophomore year of high school, not speaking very good English. I could understand everything. Couldn't really speak it. Um, probably a handful of, 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 of people of color in the school. Everyone's very white. Um, and, and so it was quite of a jarring experience, to say the very least. It was very, very, very challenging, very difficult, um, very traumatizing, to be honest. And so I couldn't really fit into the you know, to the cool kids or to the norm in any way. So I ended up, you know, making friends with the people who were, um, you know, looked at as the, as the freaks and the weirdos. Um, I found myself fitting right in. Um, so I would just go out a lot. I would be, you know, getting drunk and high um, all the time, even in, in, you know, not in class, but any sort of break we had, we'll go off and we'll smoke or we'll do whatever. Uh, and come back to class and I would just be sort of uh, numbing out throughout the whole process. I absolutely, uh, I never use the word hate, H-A-T-E, uh, ever, ever. And I tell all my students and everything I write and I do because that word holds such power. But high school was just really a real test ground. Um, it was uh, when I felt debilitated by depression for the very first time, two weeks in bed. And uh, two weeks in bed contemplating my contemplating my life, even contemplating suicide at that point at 16 years old. Um, but thankfully I have, I have, uh, you know, epic loving parents and my mom actually chose to bring me to a witch doctor, this Colombian man, instead of prescribing me and everyone has their own, everyone has their own journey with mental health, um, and whatever works for them, depending the, 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 how severe it is, um, and the support system they have. But I, um, I didn't take, my mom didn't take the traditional route. She asked, she actually brought me to this witch doctor, this Colombian man who prescribed a set of these herbs. And by reading the iris of my eye, he prescribed these set of herbs. So that I was able to get out of bed. So to give you a long answer to a short question, how was high school? Um, it was a fucking nightmare. It was, uh, I couldn't wait to get out of Florida. I couldn't wait 
to to never see those people ever again. I couldn't wait to just be like, bye, bitch, see you never. Um, so I had plans to do after Florida and I had plans of what to do after high school. No, no plans. I, 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 I had no idea what to do. All I knew is that I never wanted, that I wanted to get out of Florida immediately. So when I was 19, so I graduated high school and hung around Florida for a little while. I, um, had a couple of friends. There was three of us who all decided to move to Los Angeles. So I arrived in LA when I was 19, lived here for or uh, like two and a half, three years, uh, and got heavier and heavier into drugs and alcohol. Um, but I was discovering my queerness, right? I was like really sort of like oriented towards like self-discovery. Um, although really using the path of like, you know, drugs and alcohol and partying to do that, but it was, it was, what, it was what worked at that point. Um, does that answer your question? I mean, I could go on and on and on because there's so much detail around that, around that phase um, but that's kind of like just a little like, hey, girl. Yeah, no, that was good. Well, uh, yeah, and of course, and I could ask a million questions, too. But um, yeah. so, yeah, when you graduated and like what made you all decide to choose L.A.? It was kind of like the furthest place we can go for. You know, it was like, how, where can we go the furthest away from uh, from Florida, from our from our um, families? And L.A. was just like the place it was. It wasn't L.A., it was Hollywood, right? Madonna said it, everyone comes to Hollywood, honey. So we were sort of following that footsteps and we just went. And Got it. So it wasn't like anybody had any career ambitions of oh, like no. breaking in as an actor or it was just like. No, well, let's just go to Hollywood and then all of our dreams will come true and nothing happened. We just got really all heavy into really, really, really destructive habits. But it was, it was, uh, it was a deep, profound bond with real with really good friends we lived there's four of us living in a studio apartment in hollywood really small space i think i paid rent i think i paid like 175 of rent a month you know like we're splitting it was like maybe 700 dollars or something i can't do the math but it was something really 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 small really really like um you know at that at that time like oh my god 175 dollars of rent and maybe 200 bucks of rent i don't know i can't do the math but something like that and we would just, you know, hang out all the time, the four of us. And then coming to, towards the end of the two and a half years, one of my friends um, uh, went to Switzerland. Another, and then the, the other, uh, all, the, all of the other ones, all of us others that stayed behind, we just kind of like moved to different parts. I moved to New York City and that's when I started to, I moved to New York City to be an intern for Christian Siriano. And an oh. interning at Interview Magazine, Christian Siriano, and going to school at, F at FIT to be a fashion designer. So at that point, I kind of knew what I like, what I was like feeling, you know, inspired to do was to work in fashion, to make clothes, to style. Um, but then when Alexander McQueen died, uh, I was turning to, I was, I had just turned 23. And I don't know, for the fashion nerds out there, it was a pretty historical moment for fashion people. When he passed, uh, he committed suicide. And I loved everything he did. He, like his fact, like his way of 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 creating clothes was it was it was for me. It landed like a religious experience. Looking at the models coming down the road, runway it was literally looking at these godly creatures, uh, reminding us of our of of what freedom looks like. I didn't even have any of this vocabulary. I just knew that that designer, that human, that was like delivering this this, this beautiful. Um, art into the world. I mean, he had mastered transforming pain into, into beauty in such a profound way. So I was, I was sort of really interested in that. So when he died, I was on my way to, um, to the, um, to the tents. I forgot the name of the, the area in New York city, uh, where, um, Brian Park, I was on my way to Brian Park and McQueen died. So I, was, I, and I heard the news through a friend texting me and I felt really sad. And I was like, I don't even want to go to fat to, to the, to fashion anymore and my friends are like, come see my friend in upper in the upper east side uh she has a great idea that she wants to talk to you about it. and i was like okay fine so i go see her and and she was like son i want to start this fashion magazine and i think you should be the creative director and i was like girl what are you talking about i'm 23 like I'm, I'm i'm an intern at these places i'm like you know but she's like no i think you're a visionary i think your ideas are really really far out and i think just from what i've heard I think you should do this. 
little did I know that like a, a couple of weeks later, this would be like my reality. I would have dropped everything else that I was doing. I would be, you know, the co-founder of creative director of an international fashion magazine uh, and working with, you know, like all kinds of celebrities from, from the movies, uh, from the art world, from the fashion world, uh, from the music world. And that was, that was going to be my life into um, close to 28. And then when I turned 20, close to turning 28. Oh, the, we'll pause there and I'll ask you questions and we'll come back to at 28. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's, just, that's when everybody, that's when the real, that's when the version of Sad that most people know now uh, has started to blossom. Got it. Yeah. So I'm going to even go back into like the high school years and that depression and your mom bringing, getting you help and um, getting, you know, seeing Mm -hmm. the witch doctor and getting herbs and stuff like that during that time were you able to like did you have any sort of like awakenings of like self-confidence you know like were you able to be like did you feel put down by these people and how dare they or like did you have the inner self-confidence back then and it's just sort of like these people are fucked up and like you know no absolutely not I was not or did, were you feeling like less than and oh my like, god all the things all the things and I think uh, the the uh, the biggest sort of like the biggest sort of um, like psychological curriculum that I was working with at that time uh, was feeling inadequate, feeling just like I am uh, innately wrong, unworthy, undeserving, broken, bad, simply because of the systemic uh, indoctrinated conditioning that that queer people. Are are sin. They're they're mortal sin. They are um, innately broken and bad people. And because I couldn't explore my queerness, I remember like praying to God. I was talking to, I went on a date a couple um, not too long ago, and I remember just you know it's part of part of the part of the culture when you're dating a queer world is to ask about your coming out story and asking about like. What is it like being queer? What was it like growing up queer? It's like, it's something that the heteronormative cisgender people don't have to ever, that's not part of the vocabulary. Um, but it's a very big thing in queer culture to ask these questions. And then you can kind of gauge how relaxed someone is in their body and how relaxed someone is being themselves and how excited they are about being themselves, right? Is that in the telling of their story of like, or of actually how their story happened, of more of like them sharing the story. That's that right. never, it. It, it, all of it, all of it. I mean, it's the texture of the words, the the the, the intonation, the the kinds of details, and the sort of like um, the sort of like bells and whistles of how traumatic and tragic it was for 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 them, and 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 then seeing like how victimized, how still in victimhood um, some people still are. Um, and, 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 and you can't blame them, right? It's still very, very, uh, challenging to be queer across the world. And you think that we live in California and it's still super fluid and open it's sanctuary city, but it's, it's still extremely challenging, uh, and extremely just, it, it, it takes, it takes you, I mean, it takes an enormous courage for you to come out and be proud. So, and and we all have to survive, right? We all have to survive. So we do what we, what we can. So my way of surviving back then was just to pretend that I wasn't queer, to pretend that I didn't like boys, to pretend that I was normal, to pretend that I, that I just had to do whatever I needed to do to survive, to, to receive love, to receive food, to have received care, to have a roof, you know, uh, sort of like basic needs that the, the cis heteronormative uh, people have to never think about. Um, um, from that Which perspective, is so fucked right? up. Yeah, so fucked up uh, to say the least. But um, so when you ask that question, coming from someone who is is heteronormative, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've never I'm, had to. <laughs> I'm glad you're asking these questions and holding space for me to answer so eloquently because it's it's something that I don't have. It's oftentimes not spoken about, or people are just kind of like they're not they're they're not really want, willing to like lean into this topic because it, it's their own confusion, bring their, they, it brings up their own confusion, right? And I say this often, like, you know, you want to gauge how, how, how you're progressing in a spiritual path, like how willing are you to listen to somebody else's suffering and express and expand your field of compassion, not close, not turn a blind eye or, or, or 
or close off a topic because it it really activates your your fragility and your inability to be wise or have anything wise to say back besides like oh wow thank you for showing me this you know like that or, yeah my wiseness that's fucked up yeah <laughs> that's right but that's good my enough. wise comment yeah no that's good enough that's good enough that means you're validating my experience and you recognize that it is a very challenging uh, uh time so thank you for that honey uh, so to say that the, you know like what, going through high school my mind I, I had no orientation to the present moment at all it had no orientation to to confidence to relaxation my mind was completely completely oriented to how can the people know that I'm gay? Do they know my mortal sin? Do they know my mortal secret? Can they guess? So I would be walking in a way that was uh, everything about my life was a performance. And that performance, uh, it, it's very psychologically exhausting and, and, and uh, very, very tiring for the, for the body. So then any moment that I had uh, that I wasn't, um, any moment that I had with people who were genuinely loving me, it, it was it was kind of like a moment of rage. You know, I would always like lash out at people who genuinely care for me because they would be curious about why, why, why am I going through life like this? Or so they, they couldn't know that something was off, but they didn't, they couldn't really, they didn't have the, the vocabulary um, or the willingness really to, to really you know, see what was wrong or, or to, to be curious enough to be uncomfortable. That's really what it is. I think at the end of the day. So I have no, I mean, to be honest, I made a, I made a, a, a video the other day and I was saying like, there's, there's such long periods of my life that I have no, I have no, um, we are creating memory at every waking moment of the day, but I have no recollection of so much of it because I was so not present because I was spiraling in my depression and my anxiety and my, in my roles that I had to perform, you know, being somebody during school time, being somebody during lunchtime or doing at home, being somebody at after school, being somebody with, with other, like, it's just, it's, it's this exhausting role play that a lot of queer people have to do in order to survive. Um, and that, and that really, that scatterness, that, that, um, you know, that fragmented mindset, it really creates a, a, a an imbalance and, it cultivates the seeds for more depression, for more suffering, for more anxiety, for addiction. I like that. Um, so during that time, did you not tell anyone? No. How? So it was just, yeah. So then people might be sensing. And while you were describing it, I felt like it was almost feeling like, are you like constantly like sort of fighting with yourself? And like, maybe like a song comes on and you like it and you're con- like, <gasps> am I allowed to like the song? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is it that like, everything right. is like you know you might feel like a bit of joy or this and then like oh yeah exactly precise what am i supposed to like what does it look like what will people think if i like this song like yeah. which i think humans you know i have like you know as a teenage girl i had that but a totally different level <laughs> where it's just like oh right will people like me if i like this like some of us have a like very like baseline level of this constant <laughs> questioning of yourself but that seems like yeah. it's like full on, like constantly coming up against walls almost. Yeah, because your life is at stake, you know. Um your 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 mortality is at stake because you don't know if you're gonna get beaten to death or you're gonna get um you know you don't even if your friend like yeah if your family will turn against you. Right if you're gonna get kicked out like and and the hate crimes are you know oftentimes there we see uh, progression but you know, in a small town in Florida, you would, you never know really how people respond to queerness because of their own inability to, to realize that everyone's a little queer themselves and everyone's a little queer, a little curious themselves, but because of the the conditioning, we all push away exploring ourselves. We all push away exploring something that's not the norm, you know? Um, so, yeah. And so then when you move to LA, were you immediately in your move to LA? Like, this is who I am. Or was that a gradual? It was gradual, but we would, it was gradual uh, to a degree. But the moment that I would have a few drinks on me, I would literally turn my back around from the straight club and I would walk across the street to the gay club. And I was like, bye, bitch. (laughs) Time for me to like have fun. 
And so the people you moved with, it wasn't like, I'm going to go to LA and be no, openly uh, queer. Uh, it was just no, sort of like no. you were there and then like, oh, you're like just minding your own business, you think. And then <laughs> you have a couple drinks and you're like, and you're like oh, wait a minute. oh my God, I lost you last night. I didn't, I, where did you go? <laughs> like that, you know, like, that. yeah. Got it. And then when you moved to New York, where are you in that journey? Um, I mean, at that point, like it was like a year in into LA that I was like officially came out to myself, like to yourself, of yeah, Matt and came out to myself and to my friends. Um, but I officially only came out to my parents when I when we got the first big batch of investment at the magazine, and the magazine was like sold out and it was like this big spectacle um, happening. So I wrote a letter to my mom and I invited her to come out to New York and read it and meet me at this park. Uh, and she's like, girl, I know it. Don't, don't worry about it. You're fine. Essentially. That's what she said, you know? Okay. So yeah. And you're just also in that time, how do you get like hooked up with a internship? Like that seemed like those seem like ec- epic gigs in New York. Like while you're in LA, it sounded like, Oh, I'm just messing around and doing drugs or whatever. But I'm guessing like, were you getting making connections that he got you there and then like got you into FIT and stuff? Well, I was making, I didn't really make connections. The thing about it is at fashion school, I was really good at drawing. So I had this, like, I have, you know, I can't do it now, but I had this like ability to draw, to sketch. Uh, that was, people were like, Oh my God, this is so great. And then I also made a dress. Um, I haven't spoken about this in a long time. So thank you. Um, I made a dress out of trash bags. And I made these roses. So I, I used, you know, proper trash bags and I, I you know, upcycled them, uh, turned them into these roses, handmade 300 roses with them. And I hot glue, uh, hot glue gun, use a hot glue gun to glue them to this dress. And, and I won third place in this competition. And I was like the youngest one uh, in this in this place. So I was a was it a school that. competition or something? In school in a school. Yeah, yeah, at FIT. Yeah. Oh no, this is not at FIT. This is at a school here in LA. Oh god! Yeah, so yeah, while you were fun. in LA, you yeah. did start studying yeah. fashion. Exactly. So then I started applying for schools uh, for stuff in New York, and it's 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 really wild to think about because like, you know, I applied for FIT, I got in. I applied for Christian Siriano, I got in. I applied for interview magazine. I got in. It's like, you can't make this shit up. It's just literally like, okay, time to go, you know? And then my sister um, applied for, to be, um, to be on this show called Make Me a Supermodel. And she got in. So it was like the perfect setup for us to move to New York. She was going to go on the show. I was going to go do all these things. And then, and then kind of it just all happened. It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption. I'm so excited. I just got a new batch of the insulated tumblers, mugs, and some water bottles in my shop. You go to shop.yourdryologist.com. I've got so many products to empower you, inspire you, get you out of your own way loads of different phrases that resonate with different people. But these insulated tumblers and mugs I use every single day. The tumbler comes with a straw lid and a flip top lid. Both you can use for hot or cold drinks. They keep your drink cold drinks cold and hot drinks hot like all day long. I drink so much more water with the straw because of this. And then the mugs, insulated mugs, it's all I use. It has a flip top lid that is spill proof. So I will be like in my kid's playroom on the carpet with my hot coffee. I will throw my hot coffee in my purse. It keeps it warm for hours. And I don't have to worry about spilling it. Well, as long as the lid is closed. Super awesome. I don't have these in all the time. Um, this will probably be the last time I get them in until maybe the fall. I don't know. It just depends. And um, different colors options each time. So go check them out, shop.yourdryologist.com. They make awesome gifts and they're so well made, like you'll be using them for years to come. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so we can jump back to. Well, I don't know. You're 28 when you start working at the muse- 
No. I was, so, I was about to say on. museum. No, like, <laughs> no, so I was 23. Was, so I was 23 when I started. When I started oh, okay. Yeah. And that's then when you came out to, to your mom. And then is that when you come out to your mom, is that when you were like really then fully living as that's right this is who I am exactly yeah um but it was it was it was so it was purely based on the fact that I had that I had stuff to show for that I had ac- accumulated enough sort of uh, what what we perceive as 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 measurement of happiness right being our hourly successful um that I felt like I could come out to my mom but anyway so fast forward to the fall of 2012 um, I, I, I get bought out of the company that I had started with two friends. The initial two friends that, that I started the company with were bought out by the investor within a year that we had started. And then later on the, the investor and the other partner, then buy me out of the company that, that I had, um, essentially invited them in. So it was pretty, the betrayal was wild, the heartbreak. It was just all of it was really difficult. So, I, so you weren't necessarily like, oh, I'm ready to get out, no, buy me out. It was like a takeover. Exactly. I wasn't ready. No, I, I honestly, like, I thought that I was going to work in fashion and I was going to like, I thought that that was my life. Like legit thought that that was like, I was, I was really good at it. Um, I got along with, with, you know, the talent that I was working with. I would, I was able to really get these, these celebrity publicists and agents to agree to these wild ideas uh, which was then put us on the map to being like a trendsetter magazine. So I felt like, okay, this is it. But then when I left, I, um, I realized that I actually had been um, not really kind to people. And, and I mean kind in a very, very gentle and sweet way. I had just sort of gone through the process of connecting to people um, in a very transactional way. Because when I left the magazine, I had no friends. I mean, partially because the business partner said that people would not talk to me, which is so wild. But essentially, uh, it was it was just not having, you know, the connections I had made were very transactional, like I said. So I didn't really have um, a lot of friends, you know, at all. And then... Was that time, though, too, where you just, like... A hundred percent working around the clock, and even like you're out, it's like oh, a fashion event to this. So maybe you're like out doing stuff, but it's like everybody's just like it's still sort of work. Yeah, like that's right, that's right. Yeah, so it was very, it was very much like that. Um, and what was that time? Did that feel like? Were do you feel like you were fulfilled in that, like your self worth and everything? Did you, or was it more being tied to like you're just constantly chasing or like the next? I got this, and we got this, and we got that. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, if somebody's look, working nonstop. A lot of times it can, not always, not always, but can be like everything is tied to their work. So they're only feeling joy, success, worthy, fulfilled when like, oh, I got the next, you know, book to the next, this person, this right. app, exactly. sold well, this. Exactly. So it was, it was very much like that. Like, uh, it was, it was very much based on, on like, um, on showing to the world that I had something to offer, that I am good because I have these things. I live here. Look what I did. Like I checked it. this box exactly. and now I got this. Yeah. But inside it was crumbling, you know, inside it was like really, uh, really wobbly, um, you know, struggling with depression and, and, and addiction and, and anxiety. Um, but I just kept going. I was able to perform really well because I already knew how to perform from a young age, you know? Um, um, so that, that's kind of like how it all, and when I left the magazine, it all kind of came, everything came, it was like really coming, it came up to the surface really, really full on. Um, and then when I started, when I lived in Florida for a year researching, uh, you know, being curious about, about, uh, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, veganism. Well, is that, so yeah, after the magazine, do you end up then, is that what you moved to Florida just because you're sort of like exactly what do i do yeah, now exactly, like- exactly yeah so i go i get this little beach beach house uh in on in florida and i'm there for a year and within that year um just doing a lot of research being very curious about like you know the human condition the human potential both of those questions were like human condition and human potential were very big as as sort of like the 
you know. What had you exploring that? Just like sort of oh, lost the company shit. and sort of like, yeah, like human falling. Condition, just feeling like shit, you know, human condition, recognizing that what the Buddha said, you know, life is suffering. So, okay, human condition, right? How could I find my way? And the human potential, what the Buddha said, there's a way out. Um, so working with these two questions were kind of like human condition, human potential. What could I, how could I sort of like walk my way, transform my experience of the human condition into intimately experiencing my fullest potential, uh, but without ever thinking of helping other people, which is very much like, how could I feel better? How could I feel better? So then it was in the spring of 2014 uh, uh, that I went to India for the first time and I did a 10-day silent retreat. Um, and I remember very vividly my teacher, uh, my, first, my first teacher, she said, everyone's innately good. No, doesn't matter what kind of past you've had. Doesn't matter what kind of li- life you've lived. Doesn't matter what kind of things you like and how, whatever, you know, any of the things that I had sort of like um, had um, in the past, you know, equated to being benevolent and good was based on being straight and based on being, um, having money and being successful and doing this, everything that I had sort of equated um, to being benevolent and a good person, she just dismantled all that. She says, none of that matters. Innate goodness is the base of every human. It's just at the core of your being, that's who you are. Um, and I was like, holy fuck, that's insane. I never heard that before. I've I never heard that so clearly stated. I was ready to hear it too, I think. Um, and then, And then we did a meditation on death, three consecutive nights on meditating on our own death. And I actually had this like psychosomatic experience. I actually got physiologically sick for those three days. And all of us, 80 people high up in the Himalayas, all coughing, fever, people are sharing their supplements. You know, you're in silence, but everyone's passing notes, giving each other supplements, vitamin C this, vitamin this, da, da, da. And we're just all going through the fucking ringer because I don't think any of us at that point had sort of walked ourselves to the edge of our death and really hung around in that space for these amount of hours. Like, okay, now I'm around my, my family. Now I'm around my friends. Okay. So the flickering light of my life is, is slowly, slowly, is slowly, slowly fizzling away. And then the moment of where you realize that like, oh, wow, all of my dreams and wishes and desires and all the conflict and everyone that I, all the things it's going, it's ending in that very, in these three days. Right. Um, so that woke me up. That woke me up in such a massive way. So I invite everybody to meditate on death. Um, and that's something that I do every morning, right? I, I remind myself, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vow that I take, right? It's part of my lineage of study and practice. I say, um, I know that I may die today. And I know that I may even die today at sundown. So because of that, may I only do the things that matter most to me. And may these things that matter most to me have the greatest impact on as many people as possible. That really orients your day, right? That orients your day. And every time I catch myself sort of craving or clinging or being insatiable with attachment, and attachment in Buddhism is very different from traditional psychoanalysis language. Uh, we're, we don't need to open the door. Just know that attachment kind of drives your life. So, but essentially, um, it, it that kind of like helps you to refresh your, your attention and your intention, right? For you to go in through your day, uh, doing things that are beneficial for yourself and the orientation of your body, speech, and mind is oriented in such a way that can actually benefit other people as well. Um, so, and then fast forward to the big awakening was later that fall. This is now still 2014. I'm in Kathmandu, Nepal. When I uh, met my first guru, um, and that's during a 30 day meditation retreat. And it was during that 30 day retreat that it just all fucking like broke open. This is when I was like, oh shit, honey, I wasn't ready for this, you know, like full on midday, like full on, you know, like the neurosis had sort of turned into, into like a psychotic episode where I'm like literally losing my mind. I had packed my bags twice. I'm like getting ready to leave the retreat. I'm, 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 you know, um, paying, paying, you know, us dollars for this monk to let me use the phone. It's, it's like midnight. I'm, I'm buying Coca-Cola, smoking cigarettes and eating Oreos because I'm literally, I have never looked at myself uh, in my mind. I have never at that point uh, made, like really got to know myself to that degree. Uh, and then when the sort of like the, 
the first layer of the mind, kind of like the the noise, as you change as as you change your relationship to the noise, uh, the noise, you know, naturally the mind, you know, uh, becomes more quiet. People think that meditation is about quieting the mind. It's about changing the relationship to the noise, and then naturally the 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 mind itself will will become more quiet and that's when all the stuff that was like behind you know in the back room was like girl time to look at all this shit Uh, so those 30 days were one of the most difficult um experiences of my life but it was it was clearly one of the best experiences of my life and it was after during that 30 day that i had an opportunity to meet privately with my guru a few times which was so crazy so insane thinking about it um well, someone, one of the things that he said was like, you're going to teach, bitch. So you might as well get deep into this practice, honey, right the fuck now. And I was like, whatever, honey, I'm in it for me. <laughs> like, whatever. I'm guessing, did he not say it in those language, <laughs> that language? No, of course not. Everything that I'm, everything that, anytime, anytime <laughs> I'm quoting, <laughs> yeah, anytime I'm quoting any of my gurus and my teachers, I, it's me paraphrasing and in a sassy, in a sassy approach, right? <laughs> Uh, I figured, but I just wanted to <laughs> imagine this like saintly creature being like, bitch, you're going to teach so might as well. I mean, you never know, right? You never know. Never know. So yeah, he said that. You like, were like, hey. no. I was like, no, 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 Did no. you you're... feel it or you were like. <laughs> no, I was literally like. You're reading someone else. No, exactly what I said. Exactly. This what is I said. the aura of the last person. I'm just kidding. I was like, um, I mean, there's no one around, but I'm like. Something is not like, I don't think this is for me, but little did I know that this, you know, this, this being who has this like omniscient superpower could actually like clearly see that that was like what I was destined to do. Um, and then at the end of the retreat, we were asked to take these, um, uh, these vows and Pratimoksha vows, right. And these vows, they really, um, there again, there are ways of, of protecting yourself, of developing yourself. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to take these vows. Mind you, the night before we're taking these vows, I had a dream that I committed suicide. And this wasn't the first time that I had contemplated suicide. This was, I had been in that path for a long time, um, but this felt like the most real I've ever, ever come, you know, like literally like that. And I had hung myself and sorry, trigger for, uh, for anyone listening, but for anyone listening, like your mental illness and your addiction does not define who you are. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a part of you that needs a little care and sweetness, but it doesn't define who you are at all. And we could all get through it. No trauma is too big that can be healed. And I say this with, with such profound faith and unwavering trust because I was there, honey. So that's why I'm okay opening to this degree and sharing, because I need you to know that I didn't just land here by reading a motherfucking book. Um, it's, it's, it takes a lot of work for you to, to, to be able to, you know, really be at a place where you can help other people. Um, but we all have the potential. We all have the potential, especially those who have extreme emotions, especially those who have extreme circumstances. You qualify in, in tantric Buddhism. We say that you qualify to become free in this life. You qualify, you have the perfect qualifications to, to, to become free. And help as many people as possible to become free. Um, but anyway, so that night I dreamed that I hung myself in the gompa. Gompa is, is a sacred big room where we meditate. And I hung myself naked in the gompa in front of everybody, uh, which is so crazy. I hung myself and the, the idea is that people come in the morning to take the vow and I would be there hung. How much of a crazy spectacle, right? Um, but the idea, what I took away from it the next morning, I told a friend of mine, I broke the silence that morning. I just needed to tell somebody. Um, and I said to her, I, she, she just looked at me. She's like, sad, that part of you died last night. The part of you that's afraid of, the part of you that's afraid of becoming free, the part of you that's afraid of, of developing, the part of you that's afraid of, of really letting go of the destructive habits of mind, habits of, of speech and habits of, of, of body, it's, it died last night. So now let's, let's take these vows as an opportunity to, to, you know, to sign on to this mathematical equation that doing it enough times, that practicing enough times can unlock freedom and give yourself the grace to taste that freedom. Moment to moment, every time you refresh your attention and intention with these vows, you're, 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 you know, going through the whole mathematical equation and really unlocking another shackle. How amazing is that? And I said, all right, fine. So I, I said, I'll do it, it for a year. Fine. I said, all right, fine. I'll do it for a year. 
fine, I'll do it. So I do it for a year. And then within that year, honey, it just, my whole life changed. Like every single thing just changed. I, first of all, I had no idea how to communicate with other people because I couldn't lie and I couldn't gossip and I couldn't put other people down because these were part of my vows. So I was like, what do you talk about? If you're not putting other people down, if you're not gossiping, if you're not like low key lying. Uh, And so I became quiet. I became very quiet. I was like, and what were you doing at this time in your life? Like uh, you had said you moved to Florida and you're doing this for a year and then we, you go on these retreats. But like at this time, like, what are you doing for work? Are you living Nothing. off savings? I'm, no, I'm just living out of a backpack. Okay. Living out of the little bit of money that I made from, from, from the you know, magazine. Exactly. Got it. But my daily spend was like $25. You know, when you live in a monastery and in an ashram, it's like, it's pretty easy to, to get by with very little money. Well, and so then after though that retreat and you said you like gave, you're committed for a year, like where were you? I just kept going after that retreat. So you were like, I just kept monastery and ashram hospital. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So this is, this go, this kind of journey continues for, for almost three years. Wow. And then I, uh, and are they like different, like are, you mentioned Buddhism a lot. So is it, yeah. Are they different Buddhist monasteries or different sorts of? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I wasn't as disciplined with the Buddhist path um, for a while. I actually took me to sort of like, uh, you know, test out many different sort of like uh, paths to then realize, oh shit, this is my jam, you know. Um, but it's 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 become the Vajrayana path, the Vajrayana lineage of Buddhism, also known in the West as Tantric uh, Buddhism, which has nothing. Very little to do with what we know as Tantra in the West. Yeah, totally. As soon as I hear Tantra, then my mind... Like, no. Like, what does that have to do? It has nothing to do with this whole bullshit of sacred sexuality. And it's this is like the most flawed uh, approach to it. It's like people skipping all the most foundational steps um, to to become free and trying to... Don't even get me started with this. But essentially, the real systems um it's very little to do with what we know in the west you know it's very it's it's like enormously different not surprised yeah (laughs) not surprised that we would take a term (laughs) yeah i mean it's like everything gets misinterpreted you know people like and and the people who've had access to a lot of these teachings uh, are very privileged people and so no wonder things get you know misinterpreted uh in you know, to various degrees. Um, but anyways, whatever helps people, right? You want to use the sacred sexuality, tantra, whatever language, and you genuinely feel like you're helping somebody. You're not taking advantage of them. You're not harming them. You're not harming yourself. Then fuck it, do it. But, you know, and, and, and my whole game is, is just, a, uh, you know, what I'm studying is just a little different. Okay. And so then after this, like three or so years, where yeah when <laughs> then I moved do you back to new york back to new york back to new york city yeah um, and what made you be drawn to go back to new york i mean it was kind of like a place that i you know i had lived there for at that point uh, almost like seven to eight years right. so it's probably the place you had spent the most amount of time especially as an adult as your own person precisely yeah um but i have to tell you that like i when i came back to the states i was living in switzerland for a summer and and then after that um i came to live at the omega institute upstate new york and that's where i got the first opportunity to sort of teach what i had learned not to the not to the um, not to the participants who come to see the big presenters, but to teach the staff, which is already a big honor. Uh, at any given point, the Omega Institute, there's like a hundred to a couple hundred people, a few hundred people living there, staff. Taking- oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I knew that, yeah, I knew it was a place for people to go for retreats, but I didn't know you could just be living there. Yeah, it's a big community. It's an, actually an amazing experience. Uh, you know, sadly with, with, with the, the pandemic, that hasn't happened last year, and I'm not sure it's going to happen this year either. But anyways, the um, so you got to teach for the people that were like in residence. That's right. And that was like such a huge opportunity. Amazing. I was so honored. And then while teaching there, I was coming down to the city to work at, at, at this juice place, getting paid minimal wage. So I would take a bus from upstate New York to New York City 
sleep at a friend's couch, wake up the next morning, work at this juice bar, um, and then take a bus back to New York City. That's how I sort of like started to rebuild a little bit because I came back with no money, no place to live, nothing. I just like, all right, let's go. And so slowly, slowly, I, um, I started to, you know, to get into the scene and people were inviting me to talk here and to speak there and to teach here and whatnot. And then slowly, slowly, it just kind of all happened. You know, I got my first book deal and then um, got invited to, you know, work with well, how, celebrities. First and book stuff. deal is a pretty big thing. So you must have been out doing things like at that time too. Like, are you, did you start to have a social media platform? Did you, were you just like speaking places? Like, how were you? All of it, all of the things. Yeah, I was pretty open during my whole journey on social media, pretty open about, um, about my, my own, uh, mission, um, of, of, you know, destigmatizing uh, mental illness and really making that part of the common vocabulary of people's, you know, day-to-day lives. Um, so that's how my, my, my first book came about. It was from, um, what I was posting on social media and, but then the kind of teaching opportunities just kind of came from like, you know, posting about it as well, but just like meeting the right people, talking. And also like, I have, I give, I have to give a lot of credit to, you know, the, the daily discipline um, and the quality of presence, right? I mean, your presence, you know, non-verbally speaks a million, a million kinds of, 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 of words. Um, so I think the quality of my presence was so radically different than I had been in the past that when I was like reintroducing myself to old friends or to, an old, to a, you know, reintroducing myself to New York City, um, I think opportunities came from having a, 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 from just being different. And did you, when you mentioned when the magazine ended, you felt like you didn't really have any real friends. When you went back to New York, did you still like reconnect with no contacts? So it was like sort of starting all over. It was you like, weren't like, hey, remember me? I was, like, no, exactly. It was like starting all over. Like I had some people that I was like, that I saw that we reconnected, uh, but very, very few. It was the very majority of it. It was just kind of like, going to the wellness events and like meeting people there and like connecting to new people. But it was not very, it wasn't, it wasn't people from the old world at all. It was very few people from the old world. Um, but that's kind of like how it all um, took place. Yeah. And do you feel like in that, you know, start and maybe as it starts growing and you start to like, uh, especially even once the first book deal comes, but you're starting to speak more places. Are you starting to feel like, yeah, this is what I'm here to do? Or just like, I'm still just like, okay, sure. Why not try, you know, share what I know. And then I'll figure out what I'm gonna do with my life later. You know what I mean? Like, were you like, this is right. That my guru was right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant no, to I teach, like a... you were like stepping in, like had stepped into That's it. Or like, right. where do you feel like you started to really step into it and be like, yes, this is right. what I'm doing. That's right. Um, no, I, I, I forgot to mention this. Thank you for bringing it back. So no, what, what happened when I took that vow for that year, uh, it was kind of clear that the 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 little bit that I started to feel better, it was like a natural impulse to help other people. And the more I helped other people, the more I helped myself, the more I helped myself, the more I could help other people. So it was just this beautiful, sustainable cycle. And then when I taught that first class at the Omega Institute, it was a three fucking hour class. Um, when I taught that Damn. class, it was long. I'm just going to teach my first thing. It was three fucking <laughs> hours, right? Three yeah. hours or were you like three hours? Yeah. It was three hours. But I mean, like, was that something from them? Like, yeah, teach a three-hour class or did you decide to teach oh, a no, three-hour class? Oh, no, I decided class? it. I, I decided okay. that it was three even, hours. You know? I'd be like, <laughs> let me test this out with 30 minutes. I didn't even know I'm just kidding. Exactly. I'm like, no, let's go. Here's here's a three-hour class. And and people came in and it just became a thing. But after that three-hour class, I said, oh, my God, I could literally, like, have some water, have some food, and do this all over again you know, today and tomorrow and the next day, I felt so energized by it. I was like, oh shit, this is my gem, this word's out. And then um, as I, you know, later on, people were like, oh, I would love to, to, to read your chart. Uh, Tibetan astrologers, Vedic astrologers, um, Western astrologers, I don't know the language, but they would all look into my chart and be like, bitch, you, this is exactly what you're here to do. You're about, you're literally here to Merge spirituality with creativity, with music, with sexuality. 
you're here to sort of merge all of this and use all these tools to get people to discover themselves and to and to help them to become free. Uh, and I was like, damn, that's a really fierce fucking reading. And like, all right, fine. You know, so I'm like, okay, it just, it landed deep. You know, it was like, okay, cool. Love that. And so second book, Spiritually Sassy. That's right. Why was that like... Did, did you did you always know like that was the title when you had this idea for like your no next book or like no it was what was like the idea the initial idea though like this is what you know I have to tell people or this is the taste of the book or you know whatever like what were the you like this is about yeah thank you and oh my god I think we've been on for an hour already right shit uh almost forty eight minutes yeah no it's supposed to be blocked to two okay cool um. So I, um, I mean, the initial idea was, the initial idea was to, to sort of say fuck off to the zombie Zen and let me break this down. Um, so the zombie Zen was what I had equated as spiritual progress. I had equated that the more spiritually developed you were, the more quiet you would be, the more you would talk like this the more you, you would walk in a certain way, the more you eat in a certain way, the less smiling uh, you would be. You wouldn't laugh out loud. You wouldn't talk out loud. You wouldn't dance. You wouldn't like beauty. You wouldn't like... And I, I had equated... Like you're wearing white. You yeah. wake up and you have your perfect tea or something like yeah it's like then you eat a piece of fruit like everything's like very <laughs> exactly there's so much rigidity and so many restrictions so i had equated that to spiritual progress and i was living like that you know while in my journey like legit um so you can imagine how again i had once uh renounced that style i had once lived like that trying to fit in to be straight and now here I am, you know, trying. Well, and then you came out, you own it, you're living exactly. it up, running like fashion in New York City. That's right. So I can imagine you're much you're like. Exactly. You. Fully expressed. <laughs> yeah, fully expressed. And fully then expressed. now here I am. So now I'm getting spiritual. Play. So I must. Exactly. I should look this way, act this way. Eat That's this it. Way. Exactly that. So I, um. I started, I started being like, oh no. And here it just slowly, slowly, I started to realize that like, you know, the gurus that I was sitting with, the teachers that I was like, you know, uh, sitting with, they were making us laugh. They were making us laugh hysterically. They were uh, really, you know, speaking about, about things in a way that had nothing to do with progressing towards being more of the zombie zen it was more about joy and about expression and about creativity and about beauty uh that i was like oh shit i missed the plot i totally missed the fucking plot fuck fuck oh my god i missed the plot oh my god so then i just started to sort of like develop this you know translate what some of these um what some of these uh pieces of literature that I was like studying and, and, and scriptures that I was studying in a way that it was like oriented towards joy, um, uh, more, more, more so than rigidity and restriction. And, and then spiritually sassy also birthed out of, again, as I realized that I had been forcing myself to live a certain way and go through life in a certain way, because I thought that that equated being, you know, progressing on a spiritual path, I realized the moment I broke out of that shell and I started to be fully expressed again, and I'm running around these monasteries and ashrams and these holy places, and I'm looking at how people are relating to me. I felt like, again, this whole old sort of like dynamic. Um, and I was like, oh, fuck this shit. Uh, you guys are supposed to be the enlightened, the, the sweet, the generous, the compassionate, the wise ones. And that sort of dynamic still playing out again in these holy places far so up in you, fucking Himalayas, you know? Are you meaning like you were seeing or feeling people sort of judge you that's or right. look at you? That's right. Like, how dare you? That's right. What? That's yeah, right. that's, fu yeah, fuck. Exactly. That's, that. No, I'm all, it's so like, yeah, like if you, you ju yeah, judge somebody for like spending their hard-earned money on a nice bag, like, you know, or like, or if you're the person that like doesn't buy anything and then you're judging whatever it's just like whatever you're 
just judging, just fuck judging other people and what they're doing and what brings their joy. It's like, you're not better because you practice yoga every day and you don't, you know, buy anything that's new if you're judging everyone else for what they're doing. That's right. And that's such a big, I mean, there's a vow that we take. It's like, don't put another saint down. It sounds big for the Western ear, but um, when you are a, a, a disciplined practitioner and you are hanging out at these, at these, you know, holy sites, you're seen as a, as a disciplined practitioner. So you are, you've taken these kind of saintly vows and you, so the, the idea is that you never put another saint down ever. Um, you never, you never put another practitioner down. Let's kind of use that language. The word saint is too big for, for the listener, but I invite you to sort of think about that language, work with this language. I, I like that. The idea yeah. of the saint, yeah. I like thinking of everyone. That's right. It's, it's nice because it really puts you on your spot. It really like, okay, I, w- I wouldn't put another being, I'm not about another person now, but that was happening. And I was like, Oh, honey, there is something that needs to change here. So the, the spiritually sassy is, is the birth of like a movement, a place where people have never felt like they were good enough or people who were told that they're too much to this or too or too much of that. This is the home for for them. This is for the disciplined practitioner who, you know, spirituality is getting to know yourself and being sassy is sharing what you've learned to, with the world. Right. So work with these two words um is 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 kind of like the the movement that we're creating with the book and the the, the spiritual sense school the app and you know everything that i'm doing is to is to really just uh, create a place a safe home a, a sanctuary for those who would walk into these uh, healing places and never feel safe first of all because the teachers have been historically you know kind of like white and straight and um, and they could never relate to them or their, the teacher's stories would never, would never, uh, would never validate their own stories because they, they didn't have that lived experience. Um, so then you're there, you're wanting to grow, to evolve, to feel at home in yourself, but then you're still, or maybe even more so are feeling other or wrong right. or right. exactly. So it's just, a, it, it was, you know, it was like a necessary thing. And I, and I think um, I give the success of the book for a very needed, um, a very needed conversation to have to happen because uh, we live in a world that's very different. And like I said before, I think a lot of the problem, a lot of the misinterpretation came because who had the money and the time to actually make their way into India, Nepal, Indonesia, Thailand, Tibet? Um, it was it was you know historically very privileged people. Um, so because of that, you're, 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 you're then teaching from that place and, and then you're kind of leaving a lot of people out, but I had the privilege and the blessing to be able to go have the time and money to actually go deep into those places to realize like, oh shit, there's a, there's a huge, um, missing mark and there's a big opportunity, uh, to really invite a whole new a kind of seeker into the place. Um, so that's how spiritually sets kind of came about. Um, it's a very, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very f- funny book, but very deep and very, it requires a disciplined practitioner to go deep into it. Um, I, I, this, I sort of like break down very big Buddhist topics uh, in a very relatable way. And the, um, I, the day that the book arrived, I was going through something like one of the hardest things I've had in a long time. And it was like from someone else was did something, you know, treating me a certain way, whatever. And I even like detached. Anyway, your book came in the mail and I just like flipped it open and I flipped open directly to learn forgiveness boot cap the name of the chapter learn to forgive yourself and those motherfuckers who have hurt you <laughs> and i was just like oh it was perfect because <laughs> i was so like fuck you person fuck you like that's how i've been living yeah <laughs> and of course i know like myself you know okay forgiveness like go see whatever trying to tell myself all of these like things and work through my own practices but just like reopening to that page and then like those motherfuckers who hurt you was just like so perfect (laughs) good i'm glad it supported you in that moment honey yeah 
No, I, I love, I love, yeah, I love the book. I love your energy and I love what you do. I don't follow that many sort of personal development as people because I am been in that world for a while. And like, I don't, one way, I don't want to feel like I'm stealing people's work or I'm too much like them or, you know what I mean? Like that. And I get so much joy from you, especially your reels. You're like a real master. <laughs> Thank you. So sweet to and, hear that. Thank you. And yeah, and I, I'm like, yeah, you're, feel like you are perfect for these two things that I've been own your awesome is one of my like trademark phrase that's my affirmation deck and I have an affirmation app called that and so it's like you know it feels very like what you're like own your awesome own your uniqueness own you like yeah and so like with you're like realizing this sort of like you know when you're in the monasteries or I should be this way of like yeah own you and then my, I have a book coming out next year called F the shoulds do the once and based how I eliminated the word should from my life like over 10 years ago. And I just always work to replace it with want. So it makes me get really clear on what I'm doing and why and where is my attention going? Because even though I don't, haven't said, I don't say the word except in like using it like that, I still feel it almost every day. Like, what should I do? What should, whatever. And so like the coming back to you. So it's like, we come from such different places and have different backgrounds and different lessons, but yeah, like those two things that are so important to me, like felt like it was like, so resonate with a lot of what you share in a different way and in different wordings. So oh, that's so sweet. Honey. Super excited yeah. to connect oh with God. you. Yeah, I'm going to get to my wrap up questions real quick. Okay. Are these like the rapid fire things? It's not very rapid fire, but it happens pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, first, I have a product line, and um, these I have keychains, and these are phrases that go on the keychains. And I have every guest pick not just necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now and why. And then I will send you the keychain. Mm. It's like, which is what is a phrase that you want yeah. as a reminder daily? Um, I love these. Oh, my God. Let that shit go. This, this we can't ever get enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, and why? Yeah. Besides that, we can never get en enough of that. Any other reason for taking that one right now? I mean, honestly, it's just like there's a. a it's really big in my in in my practice. That's like the more developed we are, the less our mind becomes sticky, and. And their minds just, you know, somehow find their way, you know, to being more Velcro instead of like silky. So let your shit go. Let that shit go. I think it's always a good reminder to develop your silkness and not your Velcroness. You know, that's it. I don't know. I love that. that. Land. That's what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> a thousand. I love the Velcro to velvet. Is that what it was? Velcro. Oh, you said silk. Yeah. I was like, it's I don't work. Good, no, but velvet, it's also silky and, and really. There you go. Feel free to take that. Into it. Yeah, it's very nice. To yeah, silk is, is smoother, though. <laughs> uh, what is a go-to that to raise your joy levels? Dance. Dance. Yeah. Uh, I ask everybody to relate this phrase to themselves. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So it may be like a habit, a way of being that you naturally are. So what is easiest for me is blank what is best for me is blank mm, oh my God. it's not necessarily worse or harder but what is easiest for me and what is best for me i don't know can i skip this one i have to like think about it these rapid fire questions like i i honestly uh what's easy for me what's easy for me i don't know i mean i i'm i'm trying to make everything easeful these days and yeah i don't know I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. You can skip it. <laughs> uh, all right. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It, which is because I believe so often we are putting our feelings of being worthy, enough, successful, fulfilled out there somewhere, as I brought up with like how you may have been feeling during the magazine job. It's like, once I have this, do this, be this, then I'll feel this. Um, and I believe that we can claim those things for ourselves right now. Mm -hmm. Every day. And sometimes we need to do it every moment of the day because we forget. <laughs> we get stuck on things. <laughs> so what are you claiming for yourself right now? Good question. Thank you. Uh, I am claiming, I am claiming a loving, romantic partnership. Yeah. 
full All of right. peace and full of, you know, delicious adventure and joy. Yeah. All right. You claimed it. Yes. It's happening. It's yes. on your way. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> so much, honey. All right. Thank you again for listening. For full show notes, go to yourdrealgist.com slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there. For all things me, I'm at yourdrealgist, yourdrealgist.com. You can find Saw at Saw D. Simone. And um, yeah, there'll be links in the show notes for his site, for his books, for all that good stuff. Again, thank you for listening. And I love hearing from you. Send me a DM. Shout out the episode. Let me know that you're listening, why you're listening, what parts you love. And again, if you haven't yet, I'd love for you to review the podcast, leave a review, especially in the Apple Podcast app. It really helps podcasts become more discoverable so that more people can be claiming it, living their lives, and um, getting through it, doing the things they want to do and getting out of their own way, which I hope. You are. I hope listening to people's stories supports you in doing those things. So yeah, leave a review, screenshot it, and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com, and I'll send you a gift from my product line. I will. (laughs) Speaking of the product line, go shop. I just got a whole new batch of insulated mugs, tumblers, and some water bottles, and all sorts of other good stuff at shop.yourjoyologist.com. All right final thought of the episode. Actually, I'm not going to give you a thought. I'm going to give you an assignment, (laughs) a fun, 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 fun assignment. Pick out a song that makes you want to dance or sing and put it on right now. Let yourself dance, be free, or let yourself sing. Maybe you want to feel, so you put on an emotional song. Sometimes I put on songs to like help me cry. (laughs) So whatever you feel you want to do, pick a song, get to it. 